No, you're good. Just keep feeling like, um, keep feeling like sometimes when the Lord does something, you just kind of have to sit in it for a moment, you know? Just take a deep breath and kind of take in, breathe in what God's been doing. Something really special was happening tonight. One of my favorite quotes by an author named A.W. Tozier is, he said, you can have as much of God as you want. There it is. You can have as much of God as you want. God doesn't limit. You know, I mean, I think if he gave us everything at one moment, we'd probably implode. (laughs) But I'm grateful uh, to be in a room with people who want God this much that God would show up like this. So it's, uh, it's almost a little hard to kind of jump right into, you know, this has been really sweet presence, but we are going to jump in today. I want to um, do kind of part two of uh, my story, and then we're going to get into the message. Does this sound okay? I hear it feels, it sounds funky to me, but um, <laughs> that just could be me. Um, so does this sound okay? Does this sound normal? We're good? Okay. I, where I left you the uh, earlier today was that I went to a retreat I wasn't invited to because it was a leadership retreat, and I'd been a Christian for about four seconds when I invited myself to this retreat. And uh, it, we, it was one of the evening, like first or second evening, I can't remember. And, um, and at one point, as everyone was talking about what God might want to do over the course of the semester, one of the campus pastors said, why doesn't everybody just take a few minutes on their own and pray, and just ask God what God might want to, how God might want to use you uh, over the course of the semester. So everyone kind of went off, and I was kneeling down, uh, kind of like my head in a chair, my, my knees on the, on the floor, and um, something really kind of strange happened. Now, you, a few of you guys know me a, a little bit, you know, some, some more than others. A lot of you guys don't know me at all, so what I'm about to say, I want you to do me a favor and don't think I'm weird. Can you, can you, can you just kind of give me a head nod, like, in faith, you won't think I'm weird, right? Because So I was praying, and I felt like, I just kind of have this experience, I felt like, I felt like somebody poured something on me, and it felt so real. I actually looked up, like, who's pouring something on me, and is this what Chi Alpha does? Like, I didn't know <laughs> what was happening. You know, I just, I, I had this kind of experience where I felt like someone was pouring something on me, and as I looked up, I heard God speak to me, and I, and I remember, I'm all new at this, like, I tell people all the time, like, I'm from a non-Christian background, I had no theology for the voice of God, like, I didn't know God could talk, but somewhere in here, as I looked up, I heard some words deep in my heart, and the words said this, go back into the residence halls, Now, I had lived on campus for three years, been an RA for a year and a half of that time. In my senior year, I lived off campus, which is when I gave my life to Christ. I heard this sentence, go back into the residence halls, and somehow I instantly knew this was going to be a change of direction for my life. Now, what I didn't mention, or I may have mentioned earlier, I was in the process of um, law school applications at that time. Did I say that early? I can't remember. I had already applied to law school. I think at this point I was waiting for the law schools. I was waiting to get my, hopefully, acceptance letters into law school. I was, I had been so excited about um, prepping for law. I started biology major. I think I told you this morning, went in biology major. One semester in, I'm like, I'm really bad at this, so maybe I should find another major. I realized I really dug the law. I mean, I just thought that was so cool. And I, I was a, a double major in pre-law and psychology, which means that I could sue you and then help you get in touch with how you felt about that. I mean, it was just, it was like totally my gig, man. It was just, it was my, absolutely my jam. I was loving it. And I had been, you know, just really worked, I had like worked double hard. And, and even at that point, um, I was, you know, if I wanted to, I could have graduated in three and a half years rather than four just because I had really pressed it and, and loved my classes. But in the midst of this, I have this encounter and I hear something, I assume God say, go back in the residence halls. Like, what in the world do you do when you've been working towards something for a long time, you're in process and you hear something so completely different? than what you were planning. Well, let me say what you don't do. You don't make a massive life decision on one moment. In that process, I went back and I just, I I had this really cool little place where where my roommate and I lived. We lived in a a second floor apartment and our, um, we 
had a little balcony on the on the back patio, little balcony in our apartment, and I had a hammock. So when I came here and I saw you guys have hammocks, I'm like, my people, I was so happy. <laughs> I was so happy when I found you. I mean, because I had a hammock on my on my back patio, and and when I would lie, I would go in day after come home from school, and day after day, I would walk um, into my apartment and just kind of put my stuff down, get myself ready, and then I would go and I would hang out with God on my hammock, like day after day after day. My apartment faced due west. And um, in fact, if we can go ahead and throw that, that photo up, I want to show just a little bit. I actually went back there for the first time in June after more than 20 years. This is basically what my, what my, uh, my patio or my, ba my balcony overlooked. It's, it was like a, I don't know, I'm not good outside. It's like a field on one side and, and an orchard on the other. What you can't see is the orchard, and I was, I was right there kind of in the middle. And every night the sun would set like right down there. It faced due west, so every night I'd watch the sun set in this most spectacular place, this, you know, this open field on one side, this orchard on another with the sun setting in. And day after day, I would go in and I would hang out, quite literally hang out with God and talk to Jesus about what he wanted to do with my life. Day after day, I just made that part of my thing. And I really started to pray. Now, remember, I had heard this crazy thing, like go back in the residence halls, but I'm also like waiting for law school letters trying to figure out. At the same time, I mentioned to you I was psychology and, and uh, law. I had been looking forward to a class at the beginning of my senior year. I could only take it as, um, actually, end of my senior year, I could only take it as a second semester senior. It was called psychology and the law. It was like everything I loved had come together. This was the class I'd been waiting for. And honestly, it was the reason why I stayed all the way through, because I could just finish out the school, uh, the school year. Instead of graduating early, I could, I could actually finish out and have this class that I had been waiting for. I get into the class and something starts to happen. I can't figure out what's going on. This excitement that I'd had, this hunger for it. I mean, like I used to watch like courtroom dramas and I object. Like I was so into it, you know. And um, as I got into this class, I could feel my interest beginning to decrease for this field I had just spent like three years working toward. My interest was deeper. I was like, what in the world is this? I've been waiting for this. How can this not be as exciting as I... At the same time, I started to feel this increase of something else because I would think about, man, what I'd really want to do, if I could do anything, I'd want to have Bible studies with students like me. I started to think about the fact that there were a lot of people just like me who had, were walking the campus who didn't know anything about Jesus. And I was like, man, I'd love to have Bible studies with those guys. I'd love to talk to those guys. I'd love to do anything I could to reach out to some of these students. So I felt this weird changing of, of affection and interest going on in my heart and mind. I was trying to figure it out. But day after day, I kept going back and hanging out with God, asking God what he wanted to do with my life. I would pray prayers like, God, just tell me what you want me to do. And I started to feel like maybe God was asking me to give up law school. And I said, God, if you uh, just tell me what you want me to do. And, and when you tell me what you want me to do, then I'll give up law school. And I kind of I prayed that prayer. And in the midst of this, I felt like um, a friend of mine describes it this way. How, how many of you guys are, are seniors this year? Okay, how many of you guys are trying to make a decision for, like, you know, your life? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, some of you, like, I, I know that a lot of times, you know, when, when people are going in their senior year and, peop, you know, people like me are like, hey, so what's next? And you're like, I hate you for asking that. You know, <laughs> some of you are like, please don't ask. I, I know sometimes we're in a decision-making season or what some people would call a discernment season. And, and a friend of mine shared something with me that was really helpful one time. And um, she said when I was, she, from her, she said, when I was trying to decide what to do with my life, she said, week after week I would go. She went every Friday for lunch. She would fast lunch and go to the chapel on campus. And she said, I would pray for God's direction in my life. She said what it was like, she said it was like I held my hands out. So let's go ahead and throw the next picture up. She said it was like what I was doing. I was holding my hands out. And with every prayer, she said, I would just wait and trust God to guide me. She said it was like little snowflakes that began to fall on my hand. She said, you know, with like a snowflake, a few snowflakes, there's no weight to that. You just feel it. Like, but imagine both your hands are out, and you just feel snowflakes falling on, on both, she said. But over time, there is an increase. As God begins to reveal his will, there's an increase on one of those hands as it's like more and more snowflakes fall. How many of you guys have ever tried shoveling snow? Okay, a few snowflakes, no big deal. But the weight of a lot of snowflakes is very heavy. 
And she said, that's what it was like for her. And that's the only way I can describe what it was like for me is I used to hang out with God in my hammock. It's like I had my hands out, and little by little, the snowflakes began to fall more and more on one side, and the weight of God's will began to be more evident. My prayer for those of you who are trying to make a decision now or um, all of you who will have to make a decision about something major in your life later, my prayer for you is that you learn to find that place where you can sit before God and let the weight of his will begin to become evident. That's how it was for me. I was, uh, as I mentioned, I was waiting for law school, and, and I just started to feel like, I feel like maybe I'm called to ministry. I thought it was the craziest thing in the world because, again, at this point, I'd been a Christian for about eight seconds. I'm like, how in the world could I be called to ministry? I mean, it had been a little bit more, but I, I just, I began to feel like, God, I don't know. I feel like I want, feel like you're putting this in my heart, but it doesn't make sense. I'm so new. How would I, anything? And in the meantime, I'm trying to navigate what is this thing, you know, go back in the residence halls. What does that mean? I won't go into the entire story for, for time tonight, but what I ended up doing is um, going in and being a hall director in one of the residence hall back on my campus. I Eventually, I did lay down my desire for law school. I, I tell people all the time, like, I exchange my dreams for my life for his dreams for my life. I found that when you exchange your dreams for, for, for your life for his dreams for your life, you get the better end of the deal. You know what I'm saying? Like, he's got good things for you. I don't know exactly what that is. My, my concern when I share my story is that someone's going to say, well, the, well, whatever I'm planning, I should just, you know, leave that and go into ministry. I, I, I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying whatever God calls you to is the best thing he has for your life. And that could be the law. I mean, we need some really serious Christians in the legal system, right? I lived in Washington, D.C. for 12 years, right? I, 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 everybody I knew was a lawyer. <laughs> a friend of mine tried to, uh, was called to a jury one time for jury duty, and one of the questions that they ad gave to all the candidates was, you know, how many of you are lawyers? And he's like, he could not believe how many people, like, raised their hand. But we need some serious good lawyers. We need some serious good Christians in the legal profession, we need some serious good Christians in public schools. One of my, one of my grads um, from when I lived in California, Heather, I, I may have shared this at, at uh, the winter conference, public school teacher for third graders, she told me one time, she said, Stephanie, I can't talk about Jesus in my classroom. Of course, it's a public school. She said, but nobody can keep me from coming early and praying over my kids' desks. Nobody can keep me from praying over my kids. And all I'm thinking is, I don't know how many of those kids had anybody else praying for them, but Miss Teagarden was praying for them every day. She'd come in, walk the room, pray, pray for those kids. We need serious good Christians in the legal profession and education and in medicine and in banking and in trucking. And I mean, you know, as my friend Pete Bulet, our, our director at, at uh, University of Virginia, he said, name me a field that doesn't need a Christian witness. So whatever God is calling you to, man, do it wholeheartedly if God's calling it to you. In my, in my experience, God asked me to lay down my dreams for my life in a very practical way to pick up his dreams for my life. And as I said, I feel like I got the best end of the deal because I got his dreams for my life. And that's my prayer for you as well, that you would walk in God's dreams for your life and uh, you would do it wholeheartedly and you would do it in a way that, um, gosh, where God would look so good. I, I you know, I was, I, obviously I work with Chi Alpha. I ended up going into the Chi Alpha internship. I'm going to tell you tomorrow some stories about that time in the residence hall. I think you'll, it'll be fun and you'll be encouraged. But I ended up going full-time into Chi Alpha and have for, gosh, a long time, 20-something years since I've been working with Chi Alpha from coast to coast. Started on the West Coast and um, have been in here in Missouri a couple times and then East Coast as well. I love um, just seeing what God wants to do through college students. It's amazing. I'm thinking about one of our students when I was in California, Chico, California. Uh, we had a student who was a Japanese student who we had been reaching out to. And um, it was so fascinating because she came to faith, but she came to faith one day because she said that the Lord spoke to her in her native tongue. Come on now. She had wondered if God was, if Jesus was just for Americans until Jesus spoke to her in Japanese. Beautiful. Oh, my goodness. I remember going one time to um, one of the trips we, I love, I always joke, I love to take college students around the world and, and you know, kind of watch as their eyes get big when they realize Jesus is not an American. I mean, like, there are some people, like, that's deep revelation. You know what I mean? 
Like, he wasn't born wearing red, white, and blue. Like, he's actually Lord over all the earth, you know? And I remember being one time in Morocco, and, you know, in a uh, 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 Muslim nation. I remember being, like, one of the center, right overlooking uh, the center square, um, spending some quiet time before we went on our first day of our, of our ministry trip, of our missions trip, thinking, wow, Jesus, you are Lord here. Even if nobody here, there were so few Christians in Morocco at the time. I don't know where it is now. There were so few at the time. Then I remember thinking, God, I, I don't know. We could probably gather up all the Christians in this entire nation, and, and, you know, there aren't that many, but I can still worship you here right in the middle of this city, of this nation. And I remember it being so profound, like God is God over all. I remember my, my friends and I on that ministry trip ended up going in, and uh, we were invited into the home of a family that one of my friends had been the year before she had met this young woman. In this entire family, there was one young woman who spoke English and one young man who spoke English. Everybody else in the family no one spoke English, and we went and spent the night with them. They're incredibly hospitable people. Oh, my gosh, they welcomed us in. I think they, like, killed their goat for dinner for us and stuff like that. I mean, and, you know, and, and our rule, I don't know how it is here, but on, our rule on a mission trip is you eat whatever's put in front of you. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you just, you know, you just receive it with gratitude and, you know, and all the stuff. And, and I remember going in, we had taken a little, like, a little, little van, kind of a bus thing. They, it was a 15-passenger van. We were trying to get to this family's house and where their village was. There were 22 people packed into a 15 passenger van it was super hot I'm all crowded I've got like somebody's backside like right by my face it was I was like you know you know the the, the glory of missions right there you know what I'm saying and and we ended up they drop us off at uh, the bus driver drops us off and we we hike up this dusty trail we're all carrying our stuff and we go and we spend uh, this overnight with this incredibly gracious family this Muslim family um, it was really cool because we they you know, like I said, they fed us, they showed us, it was so interesting, they didn't have um, indoor plumbing, there was no bathroom, but they all had TVs and VCRs at the time, it was really incredible, so they showed us videos of their daughter's wedding, and just did all this really cool stuff, at night, we ended up sleeping in two different rooms, all the men in one room, and all the women in the other, what I didn't know is the two guys on our team um, were talking to the one young man who uh, spoke English and giving him a Bible that was like part English, part um, um, Arabic, and or you know, had both. And they were they were going through this process, and it was like they would say, "Well, why don't you look up like John three sixteen? And he would read it in English and Arabic, and he'd be like, "It's the same," you know. It was so cool. It was really. And I remember when we left, we prayed over them and blessed them. And I remember walking back down that dusty road with just tears coming down my eyes, thinking. Wow, God, I wonder if this is how the Apostle Paul felt when he went somewhere. That family had never heard the gospel prior to that time. Never heard the gospel. In fact, the young man who spoke English, when my friends gave him a Bible, he said, a Bible. He said, we've always wanted to see one of these, but we've never been able to. And it was just such a privilege to be able to be a part of this trip. And those are the things that the Lord has allowed me to do uh, since I've been involved in this incredible ministry, and including coming and being with folks like you. It's just been, it's been a blast. It's been a real blast. God's commitment to us is unwavering. He calls us to good, good things. They're not always the easiest things, but he calls us to good things. His commitment to us is unwavering and our commitment back to ourselves. He just wants, he, again, he just wants our whole hearts. He just wants our whole hearts. And in that process, he shapes us to become more like him. And so I want to look at a story uh, this evening that will uh, evidence that, hopefully encourage us all. If you have a Bible, please turn to the book of Luke, chapter 1. Uh, if you are new to scripture, go to the middle of your Bible and turn right Go Matthew, Mark, Luke. Um, I never knew. You know, when I was brand new and not a Christian, I may have said this at Saul, but it's really, I couldn't find anything in the Bible. They'd be like, go to the book of Job, and all I could find was Job. And I, I just didn't, I, I was like, where, I don't understand where everything is. So I always like to tell people, go to the middle of your Bible and turn right on this. It says in Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 26, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed or engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he, meaning Gabriel, the angel, said to her, came and said to her, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. Verse 30, and the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your, room, in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. 
He will be great and will be called Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? If it was me, it'd be like, and then Stepha passed out, and they had to revive her. Verse 35, And the angel said to her, answered her, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. So, in other words, Mary's uh, older relative who had been barren, she wasn't able to have babies for a long time, she's pregnant, and this older lady's pregnant, and that's, that's Mary's, I think, cousin or close relative. Verse 7, for nothing will be impossible with God. 38. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Mary is an average, ordinary young woman from uh, a small town, uh, Galilee, Nazareth, um, that is really unnotable. It was She's this ordinary young woman from an unimportant, ordinary, uh, even remote town. Uh, historians tell us she was probably in her early teenage years, so younger than, than most of you, but not a ton younger, in all honesty. Um, there is nothing notable. Now, I remember earlier today I said Mary's like one of those relatives you see only at Christmas, but here's Mary here. She is, there's nothing note about, notable about her that we're aware of. I don't think there's anything else. There's no earlier history that's recorded of her life. She is poor. She's of a low position in society, quite frankly. I think if you passed her on the street, you wouldn't even notice her. There's no external reason for God to choose Mary to make her mark. I want you to imagine yourself in the story for a moment. Because I do think sometimes the story is so familiar, again, especially like we hear it like every Christmas. I think sometimes it's, stories like this become so familiar that we may miss how we may relate. And I want to ask you seriously, just think for a moment, how would you have responded like if the angel Gabriel, now this is Gabriel, right? Okay, anybody, any of you who've got any kind of history with scripture, Gabriel is like, he's like a major angel. He's like, I don't know, I, I don't, he's like an archangel. He's like the chief angel. He's the an angel of high rank. He's like the big guy. You know, there's like Gabriel and Michael and then like a whole bunch of other guys. But Gabriel is like one of the big guys. And Gabriel comes to you, what would you do? What would you say? How would you respond if an angel showed up? <laughs> and said, greetings, <laughs> you who are highly favored. Really, how would you respond? Pass out, you know, and I remember like, if you ever, like it's almost like starstruck or something, you see somebody really cool. I remember seeing a celebrity one time and he, I, we were at a restaurant and uh, he said, happy Easter. And I went, happy Easter. Because yeah, I was like, <laughs> I was like so starstruck. I was, uh, you know, it's probably what I would do. What would you have said? And I, I, here's you guys what I think. I think we would have, I think we would want to say that we would respond with great faith, right? We'd want to be like, yes, greetings thou Gabriel or something, you know? Um, but in all honesty, I'm not entirely sure that we would have responded that way. Maybe you would have. But I'm not sure I would have because I would have had a lot of questions for him. If Gabriel showed up and said, um, you're going to be pregnant, um, but not in the usual way. Um, and it's going to be, um, you're going to be pregnant with God. Like, okay, I've got some questions. You know what I'm saying? And, you know, he's like, you're going to be a child with, by the Holy Spirit. And I'm like, okay, but how exactly is this going to work? You know what I mean? I want to know what's going to happen here if, if I'm going to all of a sudden be pregnant by the Holy Spirit, right? You know, well, I, I would ask um, some of the other questions I might ask is, gosh, what are people going to say? Are they going to assume I was sleeping around? I mean, everybody knows that she's betrothed or engaged to Joseph. Are they going to assume that I was sleeping around? Gosh, what's my family going to think? Gosh, what are people going to think of my family? I think this might be an honest question, especially for a young woman who's engaged. God, why now is I'm about to get married? Now, come on. Now, now, I know you guys are way too holy for me, but I know some of you who have heard about the rapture all your life are like, just not after I say I do, but before the honeymoon, okay? I know some of you guys have thought about that. Lord Jesus, if you're coming back, let it not be before the honeymoon, right? Come on. You guys are, you guys are acting way too holy. <laughs> Don't pull that on me. You know you thought it, right? You know you thought it. I see that hand. All right. 
I might also ask, God, why me? I, I'm not good enough. Isn't there someone better to pick? I think if this, if this had happened to me, I think it would bring up all kinds of issues for me, all kinds of questions. I think it would bring up issues of reputation. Oh, my gosh, I hate being misunderstood. I hate being accused of something I didn't do. You know, I, all these things would have come. What about my reputation? Has God ever asked you to do something you didn't want to do? Gosh, everybody responded so quickly. We could go straight to the altar call right now. <laughs> and how do you respond when you're faced with something kind of scary? I was telling Taylor this, um, I think it was in the last day or so. When I was in college, I took a public speaking class. And by taking a public speaking class, I mean I went one day and dropped out. Because I found out that we would actually have to speak in public. And I was so terrified of speaking in public. I walked out of the class on the first day. I said, I will never, ever, ever, ever speak in public. And I immediately dropped the class. I was, <laughs> did you say LOL? <laughs> I was terrified to speak in front of other people. In fact, I remember one of my campus pastors one time asked me to, to do a, um, just one announcement at Chi Alpha. She came up and asked me, she said, can you do this announcement? I was like, no, no, don't pressure me. You know, I just, I freaked out, right? I just completely freaked out. I went to one day of public speaking and I said, I will never, ever do that in my life. I ended up having one more class in college. So by the way, I don't know how I thought I was going to be a lawyer. <laughs> I'll be a lawyer, but I'll never speak. And... <laughs> I ended up having one other class that I had to do a little bit of public speaking because the rest of my time I, I avoided it. I took an intro to argumentation class and you had to give two speeches. Now this class was so stinking hard, it was the professor's 78th semester of teaching this class. He had it hardcore down. He told us when we started, he said the first exam, 75% fail the first exam. He said, but you can make up points because when you do your argument, how you can make up points is if you're in the audience and you can poke a hole in the person's argument, they lose 10 points, you gain their 10 points. Cutthroat. Cutthroat. I mean, it was like, I mean, it was like the Hunger Games, man, before the Hunger Games, you know. I mean, it was hardcore. And I remember the first speech I had to do, I was up, I was writing everything up on the board, and I, I, could, feel, I could feel myself like going red, and then it was beyond red into purple, you know? And I remember, and I was like, I'm going to pass out. And I turned around, and I, I think I'd completely forgotten to breathe. And at this point, I mean, just writing stuff on the board terrified me to such a level that I thought I was just going to pass out. My poor brother doesn't like to public speak either. He just throws up. You know what I mean? It's just like, it just not, doesn't come easy in our family. But, and I remember, I, then, so after after like going completely purple, then I have to give my argument and then I have to defend it cutthroat. And I just thought there is no way in the world I will ever speak in public. And then God called me to be a speaker. <laughs> One of my favorite quotes, um, I heard someone say, courage is not the absence of fear, it's taking the step in, the sp in spite of the fear. And there are times when we have to do that. And I, and I love this story here because it says that Mary was troubled. And I love the honesty of Scripture. I love the fact that Scripture doesn't just kind of like wash over it and have Ma Mary just acted perfectly because she was so holy. I mean, it, she actually, it says she was troubled. And I love, as I said, I love the honesty because it gives me hope that God can use my life. And it was like Mary was saying, um, God, I, I just, I had something else in mind for my life. And I do think sometimes, friends, this is the point where people do get stuck. Sometimes God comes closer into our life, and he says, I want to do something in your life, something in you or something through you. And we may not understand it, and we may not find it comfortable, and sometimes because of that, we miss it or dismiss it. So how do you guys respond when God comes close? Now, I understand we just had a beautiful time of worship, and I love being in an environment like this where... Um, there's just such, there's, the com there's combined faith. There's something about rising faith together. But when you are in the midst of something and you're dealing with an issue in your family and you have to forgive somebody, when you're faced with something on campus, when someone's like challenging you in an area and you feel like, I just, I feel like that's unethical or I feel like that's wrong, but the pressure's there or something like that, when, when in those difficult times, when God steps in close, how do you respond? When, when challenges come, when you've got to forgive someone who's hurt you, how do you respond? When God calls you to what may be out of your comfort zone, maybe God says, you know what, I really do want you to 
I really do want you to be a life group leader. How do you respond? When God calls you to something that may be incompatible for your plans, when God says, you know what, I know you had big plans for the summer, but I really want you to do a missions trip. When God shows you that he believes in you more than you believe in yourself, how do you respond? When our questions outnumber our answers. I don't know about you guys, but I like the answers. I, you know what I'm saying? I like order. I like answers. I like the fact that on any given time from my phone, if I've got a question, I can get an answer. Hey, Google. You know what I'm saying? I like the answers. I like certainty. I don't like it when my questions outnumber my answers. Friends, I think it's easy for us to let our need for control and comfort, our, our need from, for control, our need for comfort, our need to defend our own reputation maybe, I think it's easy to let those things lead. A good friend of mine, um, you know, because we just, you know, sometimes I think we just go through life and, and I don't think sometimes we realize that we're maybe shooting down the, down the track and maybe didn't stop to invite God into something. Have you ever done that? I have a good friend named Jeff who used to work with us in Kyalfa in California and, and um, he was, he had a big plan for his life. He was, you know, deciding he knew exactly where he wanted to go to school, been raised in the things of faith, totally knew the Lord. I mean, had a good relationship with God in a whole lot of ways. But I remember he was telling me that he was like, well, this is where I'm going. And he said one night he was, he was I don't know, he just kind of felt like the Lord came close. And he felt like the Lord just really challenged him and said, Jeff, you never asked me about where to go to college. Now, I don't want to freak anybody out if you're like, I didn't ask God to go to Mizzou. Like, I, I th- you know, I mean, like, if God hasn't, you know, spoken that to you, like, but with my friend Jeff, like, God really came close and said, Jeff, I really, I, I just, I'm going to challenge this on you. And, and Jeff said he spent the entire night like, wrestling with God because he didn't want to give up where he wanted to go to school. All night long, he prayed and wrestled and fought with God. And finally, at some point, late into the night or early into the morning, he just said, okay, God, I think maybe you really do know what what you have for my life. I I think maybe you really do know best. And he surrendered his desire and exchanged his dreams for his life, for God's dreams for his life. Without question, Jeff would tell you he got the best end of the deal by saying yes to what God had for him. What do you do when God comes close? What do you do when you feel like you have to hand the keys over to God? And, you know, like, I don't know about you guys, but I'm, I'm not a great passenger, um, I, I like to be in the driver's seat, and I'm, I'm, you know, Taylor's been so great, she's let me drive this weekend, and I don't know how you are, but I, I like, I'm not great in the, in the passenger seat, I like to be the one driving, and I think sometimes we even do that in our relationship with God. How easy is it, like, God, no, 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 God, I'll, I'll drive, you know what I'm saying? There was so much, you guys, that Mary didn't know about the details. Think about what, what Gabriel said to her, all the things, like, Gabriel left out a lot of details, you know what I'm saying? So Gabriel, you know, Gabriel comes in, tells her this thing, hey, by the way, you're going to, you know, you're going to have a child, you know, by the Holy Spirit and everything. What Mary didn't know is she didn't know exactly how this is going to work. Mary didn't know what the future held. Mary didn't know what people's reactions would be. She didn't know what Joseph's reaction would be. That's one to consider. She didn't know what kind of price she would have to pay, why she was chosen, she didn't know how people would treat her or this child. What she did know, interestingly, is she knew the name and the, gen- and the gender, <laughs> which I think is interesting. All the things God left out, he's like, oh, and by the way, it's a boy and his name is Jesus. You know, I, I, with no disrespect, I, I'm like, I could have waited on that information, you know, and, 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 you know, would have loved to have some of the other information, like, um, God, what's my family going to think of me? God, what are people going to say about my family? I, that's the kind of stuff I would have wanted to know, and, like, later on we could have gotten to the name and the gender, perhaps. There was a long list, guys, that Mary didn't understand about God's plan and purpose for her life. He didn't give her details. Gabriel did not give her details, but he did give her perspective. What did he tell her? Mary, you don't have to be afraid. Mary, you have the favor of God. Mary, the Lord is with you. He didn't give her a ton of details, but he did promise her the presence of God. He did promise her the favor of God. Again, you don't have to raise your hand, but are you making a decision for your life? Are you thinking about your future? Are you thinking about maybe a missions trip? Are you thinking about, man, should I do this thing with Feed One? Should I do, what should I do? Because I think a lot of times the list of what we don't know is longer than what we do know. And again, if you're like me, you want all the answers. 
you guys are, this generation, it's amazing. I, I, I know I'm going to sound super old, but your generation, I, you don't know what it's like not to have the answers in your hands all the time. It is insane to me. I, I mean, it's insane in a good way, but it's like any time I'm like, oh, uh, what's that one thing? Okay, within seconds, I have answers in my hand. It is, it's phenomenal. It's an incredible, incredible gift. But I think what I, where I get concerned sometimes is I think that sometimes that becomes part of our formation that we expect everything in our life should be like that. That we think everything in our life should be that easy. Oh, I just want this answer. Well, it should be that easy. And it is in the natural realm, but that may not be the best thing for us in our spiritual life. It's interesting. Some of you guys may know the passage. Um, it's in Isaiah. It says, those who wait on the Lord uh, shall renew their strength. The, the word is wait, or some translations um, put hope. Those who wait or those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will mount up on wings like eagles, and they will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. It's just beautiful prophetic promise. Those who wait on the Lord, it's interesting. That word there means to bind together as if by twisting. So imagine, anybody here have braids? Somebody got, oh, you got braids. Okay, come here for one second. <laughs> come on, be the object lesson. Thank you for doing that. Tell me your name. Olivia. Olivia. Thank you, Olivia. Okay, all right. I don't know if you guys can see this. I may need the back of you. I'm so sorry. Um, it's, I was not planning on sharing this, so thanks for flowing with me, but I think this is a really sweet, sweet illustration. When, when you take a braid, when you take um, like a rope and braid something together, kind of like her hair here, it's hard to tell where one piece ends and the other begins. Now, I, some of you who are up close can see this. The rest of you in the back are just going to have to hover over her later. And um, <laughs> no, no. But you can't, it's very hard to tell where one part of the hair ends and the other begins because it's bound together by twisting. Thank you so much, Olivia. It's bound together by twisting. When we wait on the Lord, it literally means, the root of it means that to be bound together as if by twisting. And when we wait on the Lord, it's like we're bound together with the Lord. And the hope is that it's hard to tell where he ends and you begin. When we wait on God, when we bind ourselves together with God, it's hard to tell. Is that Stepha or is that God? I don't know because she looks so much like God. His work is so great in her, it's hard to tell where he ends and she begins. Her attitude is so much like God, it's hard to tell where he ends and she begins. Her love for people is so, because she has waited on the Lord, she's been bound together with the Lord, it's hard to tell where his love ends and hers begins because her love looks so much like his love. Oh, man, that's good news. Oh, man, that's very good news. That, you guys, that's what I want in my life, in my relationship with God. We don't always get the details we want. Sometimes we have to sit before the Lord for a while and let the snowflakes fall. Sometimes we have to take a step of faith before we have all the answers, don't we? I, I realize how much I, how comfortable I am doing with this, doing that kind of thing in the natural than in the, in the spiritual. Like, I want answers so much all the time, like, you know, God, what's going to happen, everything like that. But I, I realize I'm much more comfortable with that in the natural, and I wonder why. Because here's the deal. I have never learned to fly a plane but I get in a plane all the time. I don't know how planes work. I know there's something to do with, I don't know, lift. You know what I mean? I, 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 you know, all the engineers are like, she's killing me. Um, you know, I, I know that it's important to like, when you're taking off, it's important to have the headwind against you and there's something to do with the engine and there's some physics in there. I don't understand wind shears. I don't understand anything. Um, and, and I remember one time I was getting ready to fly off and um, they, you know, of course they always wait till they get you on the plane before they tell you that there's something wrong with the plane. I don't understand that whole business. And I remember I was sitting there and they, they got us on the plane and then they said, well, on the way in there was a bird strike and, and it hit the wing and it cracked a seal so they're going to have to fix it. And I'm at the window and I look out and I see all these guys standing around the wing, and they're kind of looking at it like this, and I'm like, oh, this doesn't make me feel very good, you know, and, and then they're looking, and then I promise you, some guy went over, because <laughs> evidently it had dented the little person, that some guy went over and got, like, the end of, like, a broom handle, and, 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 and put it in there, and tried to, like, 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 pull out the thing, and I'm like, this can't be good for anybody, right, and I'm looking, the flight attendants walk, I'm, I'm like, do you see this, and then I keep looking, and they're out, they're out staring at it, and all of a sudden, this one guy, I promise you, is something like this, he went, and he ran over and he got what looked like Elmer's glue. You know what I'm saying? Like the kind that you use in preschool. He got some kind of glue and they, they sealed it and everyone was like, okay, it's done. And I'm like, are you sure? <laughs> are you, I mean, you feel good. Like, would you put your mother on this plane after what you just did there? Because I want to know. Here's the deal. 
I don't know how to fly a plane. I don't know how to fix a plane. But I can trust the pilot that he or she knows what to do. I don't understand all the things of my life, but I can trust the pilot of my life. It's real easy for me to get that in the natural, but it's living that out in my relationship with Jesus. You know what I mean? I mean, you guys don't want me flying the plane. You know, I don't know how it all works, but you want the pilot in the pilot seat. God, I want you in the pilot seat of my life here. So here's where we, we're going to go. We're going to get real practical here. I'm going to give you four things, and then we're going we're gonna to wrap up shortly. How do we live the life of trust? How do we live the life of faith that Jesus wants us to live? Four things. Number one, community helps us be faithful to God. What we didn't read at the time, but I, I'd love for you, actually, um, nope, uh, nope, actually, I, it's the next one over. What we didn't read there is if, um, when, when, this, when Mary has this entire encounter with Gabriel, and it's like, okay, the Holy Spirit will overshadow you, you're going to be impregnated with, like, the Son of God. One of the first things that Mary does is she goes to visit her cousin Elizabeth. Remember, Elizabeth's the older woman who had been barren, and she and her husband had prayed and prayed and prayed, and finally they get pregnant. Like, I don't know how old they are, but they're, like, super old, and they finally get pregnant. Mary goes immediately over to Elizabeth, her relative. Now, Elizabeth is the mother of John the Baptist, if you've been around scriptures much. And, and she goes and she just spends time. She ends up spending like six months in, with, with Elizabeth in the midst of this entire whole life change for her. Here's the deal, friends. We cannot live this, this faith life alone. We just can't live the faith life alone. My good friend Alicia says Christianity is not offered for independent study. Elizabeth, you guys, also had to live a major life of faith in the, in, in the midst of her thing. Because Elizabeth had to live a f- life of faith, she could encourage Mary in her life of faith. And I'm absolutely convinced that that's why Chi Alpha is so important. You guys, community helps us be faithful to God. We can't do this thing alone, because here's the deal. Jesus used a lot of imagery of sheep and wolves. Here's the deal. If I'm a wolf... What sheep am I going after? I'm going after the one that's on the, way off on the side on their own. That one is an easy target. What sheep is hard to get? The ones that are in the pack. Now here's the deal. Sometimes the sheep, they are stinky and smelly, and you've got to watch where you walk. Sometimes we as the church, and sometimes Chi Alpha, we can be stinky and smelly, and you've got to watch where you walk because we're, we're messy sometimes but we are safer together. A little stinky, but we're safer together. Because again, if I'm that sheep out all by myself on the pasture, I am an open target for the wolf. Community helps us be faithful to God. Second thing is this. Mary found joy in trusting God's purposes and God's plan for her life. Let me, can I be honest? Is this, is this okay to be honest here, Tom? Is this, is this an honest environment? You know what I hate? Grumpy Christians. Is that okay to say? I mean, I, I understand. I, I don't want fakeness. I don't want, I don't want, I don't want to live behind a mask. But you, maybe hate is a strong word. Really strongly dislike. <laughs> but you know, there are people, you guys, who live and it's like, Why are you so grumpy? You have been saved by the king of kings. You have, you actually can have the joy of the Lord. Like, God actually loves you, and your face doesn't look like it. You know what I'm saying? How many, have you ever met some of those folks? They're like, you know, they spend their whole life cranky and grumpy and everything like that. And I'm like, you know what, if you're going to be grumpy, like, tell people you're an atheist or something. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, put it out. Because as a Christian, shouldn't we live a life of joy? And again, you guys, I'm not, I'm not talking about a mask. I, I don't want to live behind this whole fake facade thing. I mean, there are real issues we deal with, and sometimes we grieve, and sometimes we wrestle, and sometimes we struggle, but we still have the joy of the Lord. We still have the joy of the Lord. It's interesting because Mary, she didn't have all the answers, and she didn't walk around going, oh, man, life is hard and everything, and, man, how I got, you know, supernaturally pregnant. And, you know, I mean, like, you know what I'm saying? What did, what did she do? Look, if you, if you keep reading on in Luke, it says, Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. I mean, like, pause here for a second. God just jacked up her plans. He just seriously changed her life story. 
And her answer is, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. Holy is his name. What has God done in your life? I think she just, I mean, she went from obligation. I mean, she could have been like, yeah, God, I'll do it because you're God. I got to do it, you know. She went from obligation to gratitude. Lived a life of joyful gratitude, you guys. Oh, my gosh. I just think, man, if, if I, sometimes I wonder, like, what are we inviting people into when we invite them into a relationship with Jesus? Hi, come be part of Chi Alpha. Come know Jesus and be, like, tired and grumpy and obligated like me. You know what I mean? Like, what is that? I mean, you know, or how about, hey, there is a God who loves you. Come on, you have an invitation to the best seat in the house. You have an invitation to, like, the finest food. You have an invitation to the most glorious love you'll ever known, you, you've ever known. You have an invitation to forgiveness and, and freedom from shame. And you have an invitation, you know, to know this incredible God who, like, in a moment just said, you know, he's like, hey, boom, there's, there's the world, there's life. Hey, boom, there's you. Breathed into Adam's body, and all of a sudden he took dust and turned it into a man. Like, how did God do that? I don't know, but you could know that God. That's the God we have to offer to our world. And often, you guys, I know for me, because I'm like, I'm a thinker. I, I, I'm one of those people, like, I'm always thinking. I actually have had people, like, in a, this has happened, it's, it's been years, thankfully. But I'd be walking in the mall, and I'd be thinking about something. I've got some look on my face. I actually, two times in my life, have had random strangers come up and say, are you okay? You look really upset. <laughs> and my answer was, oh, no, I'm sorry. I was just thinking. So I, sometimes I have to remind my face that it, my face is also saved. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> I've actually had to like practice like smiling, you know, because I, I just get so intense in my own head. Uh, Stuffy, your face got saved too, you know. And um, Mary, as Mary sings this joyful song, you guys, this is not a pity party in any way, shape, or form. This is not a pity party. In fact, I want to look at one verse. Um, Taylor, I forgot that one thing in the, um, uh, the, the, yeah, yeah, you know what I'm saying. I, um, Mary's not, yeah, Mary's not hosting a pity party here. In fact, she's living out something that, you, a passage that you guys have probably heard in Psalm chapter 34. Did I bring that? You, okay, yeah, pass that on up to me. I love this here. Thank you so much. Oh, it's, oh, it's in there. Wow, that is, that is in there. Oh, that'll work. Thank you. Um, so you guys know Play-Doh, right? When I was a little, I used to eat Play-Doh. It's a true story, which is probably why it got to twitch. Um, <laughs> and um, <laughs> Psalm, 30, Psalm 37, 4 says this, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Now, sometimes people use that like, you know, like just, you know, be nice to God and he'll give you whatever you want. That's not at all what we're saying here. Delight yourself in the Lord. The word to delight means to be pliable to be pliable, like this Play-Doh. Now, I, I, am not, I am not a sculptress, a sculptor, sculptress, but, so I'm not going to turn this into something fabulous, but it's like God can take our lives and shape them into something beautiful as long as we stay pliable, as we delight ourselves in the Lord, as we, like Mary right here, as Mary, you know, this, again, th there's no obligation in her. There's no tone of obligation here. There's no tone of like, oh, bummer. There's only a tone of joyful gratitude in this here. Behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. He who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name, because she was pliable in the Lord's hands. She didn't let her heart get hard. She didn't, like, set her mind against what God wanted. She delighted herself in the Lord, and he was able to give her the desires of her heart, which were the desires of his heart. Joyful obedience wrapped in gratitude. Man, that's good looking. That's something that the world should see, right? Third thing is this. Obedience and courage are contagious. Obedience and courage are contagious, and I would say they are contagious for generations. It's interesting because Mary carried the Redeemer. She literally carried the Christ into the world. And I've often wondered if she and Jesus ever had that conversation about his conception. 
about how she literally, like, w the story. I wonder if she, I wonder if he ever wondered, because, like, somewhere in there that he must have known, he's like, mm, I don't look like my brothers and sisters. You know what I mean? I'm like, oh, Mom, I look like you. I don't look so much like Dad. What's, what, you know, I mean, and there may have been still, like, some level of, like, oh, what's going on? There may have been, you know, it's a small town. Who knows? I, I don't know. That's all speculation. But I really wonder if one day she sat him down and said, son, let me tell you about when Gabriel showed up. Son, let me tell you about the day I knew you were coming. I wonder if she shared the story of her obedience as a model for him. Fast forward years later, Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. He knows that he is about to, he knows that he's about to be arrested. He knows that his closest friends have left him, that one has betrayed him. He knows he's about to be beaten. He knows that he's going to end up being hung on a cross, the most brutal form of death that they had. He knows all these things. And in a moment of honesty, God, Jesus says to the Father, he's like, God, if there is another way, like if, you, if this cup can pass me, that was Jesus' way of saying, if there's another way to do this, like, wow, God, this is, this is, if there's another way, but then he has this moment of surrender and says, God, not my will, your will be done. I wonder if Jesus learned that from his mother. When she said to the Lord, when she said to Gabriel for the Lord, okay, okay, not my will be done. I wonder if Jesus learned that obedience from his mom. And friends, I wonder how our obedience will affect generations. I wonder how your obedience to the Lord will affect some young kid who's a sophomore in high school right now somewhere in Missouri who's going to come to Mizzou in almost two years. How is your obedience to the Lord going to affect his life or her life? As you step out in faith, as you love Jesus with your whole heart on campus, how's, it, how's your obedience going to affect him or her? And the last thing is this. Number four, she bound herself to God alone. Mary said to Gabriel, she said, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. I don't think this is a passive thing. I don't think she's like, all right, whatever, may it be to me. I think this is a real cooperation with God, a real partnership with God. She said, I am the Lord's servant. It's interesting, that word servant, I, I didn't even think about this, how this ties into something I said a minute ago. When it says, I am the Lord's servant, the word servant there in the Greek language, now I, I would love to tell you I know Greek. I told you earlier I don't, but I have a computer who does know Greek, which is why I know this here. When it, when it, when it uh, says, I, I am the Lord's servant, there, that word there, servant, the root word of that is also to bind. Interesting. I didn't, even, I didn't even plan that first part in there. It means to bind. I am the Lord's servant, meaning I am bound to the Lord. Friends, I, you guys, we are, we're tied to something. We were made to be tied. We are made to be bound to something. We're made to worship. I'm telling you, you see people, if, if we're not going to worship Jesus, we're going to worship something. We are made to be bound to something. Even in, back to what we said earlier today, even in like wedding vows, you bind yourself in your wedding vows to the person that you're committing your life to. We're, we're made for that. And if we are not, if we have not bound ourselves to the Lord, we will bind ourselves to something else. We will bind ourselves to the woundedness that we feel. We will bind ourselves to the constant quest for pleasure. We'll bind ourselves for the need, as I said earlier. I just wanted to make money. I, I, wasn't, I wasn't really interested in doing anything to help the world. In fact, I, the irony of my life is that I wanted to be a lawyer to use people and, and, and things like that just to kind of build my own self up. And I went from wanting to use people to wanting to build people up in my, in my role now. Like, I, I don't want to use people. I want to build them up where before I just wanted to use people so I could be built up. We were made to be bound to something, to God, to healthy relationships, and it's just so easy for us to use substitutes. So friends, what are we tied to tonight? What might you be bound to tonight? Are we bound to our need for comfort or our reputation? Like for Mary, man, man, that was a reputation issue. Are we bound to our own self-fulfillment or pleasure or a relationship or our bitterness or our fear? or simply the desire to put our own self on the throne of our hearts? And how do we get to this place that Mary offers us? I think with these very words, I am the Lord's servant. 
God, may it be to me as you have said. We're going to wrap up now and, and uh, go into a time of response. If I could have some folks from the worship team or at least somebody to come and play in the background. Um, here's what we're going to do tonight. Those last four things, some of those may hit you more than others. Community helps us be faithful to God. I know some folks have been seriously hurt you know, by different, different places, in, in different places in their lives. I know they've been seriously hurt by people. Sometimes you've been hurt by people in the church. And your propensity may be to like, well, I'm going to get involved in Chi Alpha just to kind of do my thing there, but I'm not really going to be connected. I would encourage you to let the Lord bring some healing tonight. I would encourage you to ask if you are bound to bitterness or to the hurt. For the rest of us, sometimes we just need to, we just need God to help dip us in joy. Like, I, I really think, you guys, like, sometimes I think, man, do, do I, have I forgotten? If, when I start to get into that kind of, like, cranky, grumpy Christian thing, I'm like, have I forgotten what the Lord has done for me? Did I forget how much the Lord has done? And have I forgotten maybe how much the Lord still wants to do in and through my life? Because I don't want to miss what he has for me. I mean, even with Mary, she said, future generations will call me blessed. I mean, like, that's a pretty big deal. Even talking about her very own future, like, what is in my future that I don't want to miss because I forgot to, that joy was a part of the inheritance, that I forgot what God did in my life, that I forgot what he saved me from. I want the fullness of joy in my life. I want to live a life of obedience and courage that gives other people courage to obey God. When I step up and say, God, yes, may it be to me as you have said, I want, I want my life to be uh, just a sweet-smelling fragrance that someone else will go, you know what, man, this living with God thing smells good. I want my life of courage and obedience to help other people step out in courage and obedience, and I want to bind myself to God alone. I don't want, I don't want to be bound to the things that are lesser. You know, like Tozier said, we can have as much of God as we want. I want all of God. I want to be bound to God alone. So here's how we're going to end, guys. The worship team is going to lead us. You guys have on your seats here, we put, we put a little note card. I'm going to ask you to do something. Now, if this isn't, you know, if you don't feel the spirit leading on this, I, I'm not looking for 100%. I'm just looking, if God is leading you, if God is speaking something to you, I'm going to ask you to do something. What I want you to do is write more than and then leave a space. I want to be bound to God. And then I want you to fill in what that thing is. More than bitterness. More than my quest for pleasure. More than my fear. More than whatever. More than, and then fill that in. Please don't put your names on that because we're going to go into some worship time and I'm going to invite you to come and offer this to the Lord. So, you know, if when we're picking them up, I don't want you to be like, my name's Bob, and I'm putting all my stuff here so that you've read it now. You know, I don't mean like that. I just, I want you to write, I want you to write what you feel like the Lord is putting in your heart. What you feel like the Lord is revealing, maybe better, better way to say it, revealing in your heart. More than my plans for my future, I want to be bound to God for his plans for my future. So I'm going to pray, and then as we go into worship, I'm going to invite you guys to just, in a moment I'll invite you to stand so we can worship together, but I'm going to invite you guys just to come and lay them down here on the altar. It's just a practical expression. And here's the thing. I really do think there are some of you, God is going to do something profound, and um, I'm careful when I say the word permanent because I don't want... Um, God is going to do something. He's going to break something. Just the very act of stepping out, writing it down and stepping out and saying, you know what, I offer this to you, God. God's going to do something. He's going to break some things. What I never want to do is overpromise because there are times when we wrestle with stuff and it's not like it necessarily disappears forever. If someone has genuinely hurt you, sometimes we pray those prayers of forgiveness, but we still get angry tomorrow, so we keep praying those prayers of forgiveness. You know what I'm saying? So it's not like, okay, well, gosh, you know, I, I wrote that thing down, dropped it on the altar, and I'm still dealing with it, so God obviously hates me. That's not it at all. That just means God is still working, and he is still causing you to be bound together with him so that you look more like him day by day. Amen? Amen. God, I pray that you would come and whisper to us things that only you could whisper. God, I pray that...
Holy Spirit, come and search our hearts. Holy Spirit, come and whisper to our hearts and our minds. God, open our eyes to see what you're doing today. Open our eyes to see if you're calling us to a place of greater, again, relational trust, relational risk. God, if you're calling us to get, pull away from like the edge of the pasture into the pack, God, give us courage to do that. God, if you're calling us to a new place or to say, you know what, I'm going to give my summer to this missions trip or I'm going to step into a new place of ministry or I'm going to step into um, a place of, of courage where I just reach out and love my roommate in a new way. and I, I, Whatever it is, God, I pray that you would do that work in us and that you would help us to see what you're doing tonight so that we can follow along closely. God, I pray for all of my friends here today. I pray for courage. I pray for courage to say yes. May it be to me as the Lord has said. And I pray this in the precious and powerful name of Jesus. Friends, why don't you please stand? Take some time still write if you want to. When you're ready, if you're ready and you want to come and just drop it at the altar. If you want to gather with somebody else, the side room is open. Find a place of prayer. We're going to turn this into just a major prayer place. Pray for one another. I see you guys did that during worship. You guys already know how to do that. Lay hands on one another. Pray for one another. Encourage one another. Stand with one another and say, you know what? I know God is calling you to something big. I'm going to stand with you as you take the step to say yes. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus.